Good to see you all here this morning. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible or your phone, your tablet, your gadget. Um, a couple quick announcements though as you're, as you're turning there. First of all, um, welcome. Glad you're here. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're always honored to have you. Uh, my name is Jason. I have the honor of serving as pastor here at Solid Rock Church and uh, I do so with a body of elders um, and, and just honored to be a part of this church. And, uh, and I say this often, um, we would call this our church home whether I was the pastor or not. Um, we got to be just a part of the church last Sunday as Brian Lamb preached on the Isle of Control and just got to sit in there and the chairs out there with you guys and be a part of the church family. And this is, really is our church family. So uh, if you're visiting with us, I hope you felt that as you came in. Uh, that you are being welcomed into a family. I'm glad you're with us this morning. Um, we are going to have our first annual chili cook-off next Sunday, which means a couple of things. First of all, we won't have a third service next Sunday. So during the 1145 service, we'll be meeting outside. Right now, the forecast looks favorable. Weather's supposed to be in the lower 80s, beautiful day. We're going to have chairs and tables set up. And uh, we're going to have a lot of chili for you to eat. I think we have somewhere around 25 or so chilies already entered into the chili cook-off. And we've got a lot of folks bringing desserts. And so uh, even if you don't bring something, you are invited. We want you to come be a part of that because the the primary reason we're doing this is because as as a church of our size that's growing with three services, it's really rare for us to be at the same place at the same time. That's why we're doing this. It gives us a chance to be the church, same place, same time, for you to get to know folks that maybe you've never seen before or met before. Uh, We get to share a meal together. We'll get to have a fun little lighthearted contest and eat some dessert together. So that's next Sunday during the 1145 hours. So I hope you'll make plans to be here. That also means that we're going to be jam-packed full in the 815 and the 10 o'clock service. So I'm asking um, a lot of our regulars to consider coming to that 815 service um, because, um, as you can tell, we don't have a whole lot of room this morning. Uh, And when we add another service into, uh, it will be potentially standing room only. So if you could help us out by coming to the 815 next Sunday. And here's here's the part that makes it easy on you. It's daylight savings. So you already get an extra hour. So if you're able to come to the 10 o'clock, just back it up an hour 45, and we're only asking you to get up 45 minutes earlier and to come be a part of the 815. If you're able to do that, that would help us out. If not, come be a part of the 10 o'clock and we'll jam pack in here and it'll be awesome as well. So that's next Sunday. Uh, we'll have our chili cook-off. So we are uh, continuing our sermon series on desires of the heart, looking at these idols, um, these things in our lives uh, that so easily entangle us, that so frequently capture our heart's affection, our mind's attention. Um, and all, all, um, in our journey, we've looked at a lot of good things, right? Good things that God has given to us to remind us of his goodness uh, that we have hijacked and made ultimate things and made them into idols. And so anything good in our lives can become an idol. So this morning, we're going to be talking about, as you've already heard, the idol of comfort. Now, through the series, we've touched on this idol briefly, but today we're going to drill down into the idol of comfort and talk about uh, what it means for those of us who are in Christ um, to be a people who desire comfort, uh, yet not turning it into an idol. And so here's the problem. So we're 21st century Americans, so the idea of the, the pursuit of the American dream is really kind of diminished, and now the American dream is just expected as a right as an American citizen. So what do we mean by the American dream? Essentially what we mean is a life of comfort. 
that you would have um, a, a, a spouse who treats you well, you would have obedient children, you get the nice house in the nice neighborhood, you drive the nice car, you've got the nice job, you have the accolades that you want, you have plenty of time and resources for your hobbies, and, uh, and all in all, you are comfortable. Now, that's the American dream. Okay, there's nothing we can do this morning to, to change that. Um, here's the problem. When that American dream gets infused in the theology of the church, we get a messed up perspective of who God is, what his motives for us are, and what it means to be a Christ follower. Does God desire for you to be comfortable? We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. I'm sorry, chapter 1 this morning. We'll end in 4. And really the whole book of 2 Corinthians has to do with comfort. It's going to come up a lot in 2 Corinthians. We're only going to look at chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 4 together. And so we're going to see right off the bat, verse 3, which is the beginning of the letter, which lets us know this is going to be one of the primary themes for Paul's letter, one of the reasons why he's even writing this letter. And so he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we tap the brakes for a minute. Wait a second. How can something so good become an idol? Now, what Paul's going to do for us is he's going to show us the source of true comfort for our lives, what we were, where we were designed to find our true comfort, and how that contrasts with the comfort we find in the world around us. First of all, and foremost, what, what Paul does is he reminds us that comfort isn't just a thing that God does, it's part of who he is. He is a God of all Comfort. So if I'm going to be in relationship with a God of comfort, I should expect him to bring me comfort. And then what Paul's going to do is, is very clearly show us two avenues through which God desires to bring that comfort to us. So let's, let's read this again. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. It's part of who he is, who comforts us in our Affliction. So first and foremost, Paul wants us to understand that God is the one and only true source of comfort. He himself is our source of comfort. He himself desires to bring us comfort. He's going to do it through two avenues. One is his presence. It's what we just sang about. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. As Christ followers, God's presence in your life is meant to be a source of comfort. The second avenue that he lays out here is, 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 he says, who comforts us or comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to do what? Comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by, by God. So one source, God himself, two avenues, his presence in our life and our engagement in the relationships that come with biblical community. So Paul's saying, not only is God a source of comfort for me in my affliction, but he also brings comfort to you through me. He takes that comfort he pours out on your life, and he wants you to extend that to your brothers and sisters in Christ. So I can receive comfort from the one true God by his presence in my life, 
and also by being engaged in relationships with you. Now, all of a sudden, automatically, there's a little discomfort in the room. Right? Some of us aren't quite sure what to do with, with the idea of God's presence in our life. If we're not comfortable with that idea. Others of us, you don't mind coming to church and singing when it's time to sing and listening when it's time to listen, and then you head out when it's time to head out. But the idea of being engaged any deeper than that in, in, in relationships with biblical community makes you uncomfortable. Now let's talk for a minute about some sources that we go to in our culture today to find comfort. And really, this, this Ameri- 21st century American culture is, is really about comfort. And you can almost interchange that with the idea of convenience. We want what we want, and we want it when we want it, and we don't even like pushing buttons to get it anymore, right? Like, I need to be able to tell my phone what to do. God forbid I have to pick it up and touch a button. Siri, what's the weather today? You know, right? Alexa. Right? What's the score on the, on the Astros game? Who's winning the World Series? And we just, we just want to be able to, to speak out what we need, and we want it right away, what we want. Here's some examples. Um, so um, the whole smart technology series, you don't even have to get up to change the temperature in the room anymore, right? You've got the, the smart thermostat. I am just wonder, don't show your hands. I just wonder how many of us already have like the Nest thermostat in our homes And now you can tell Lexa to talk to Nest to change the temperature. You don't even have to get up off of your comfortable seat to change the temperature. Sitting there on the couch watching the Strohs play some baseball. You got your drink and you got your food. Is it getting hot in here? Lexa, tell tell Nest to turn the temperature down. And AC comes on. That's blowing cool. Oh, now I'm comfortable again. You see how convenient and comfortable we've become as a culture now we've got smart beds like if it wasn't enough for the have the sleep number bed to where you and your partner could have different sleep numbers and then they broke that into zones you can have a different sleep number for different zones now they've got a smart bed that reads your sleep habits and it knows when you're at rest and in deepest sleep and so you may think you know what your sleep number is but the smart bed knows better and it will adjust to make sure that you're comfortable at any given moment throughout the night. Smart beds, and what we mean by smart is we we want our technology to know what we want and when we want it. Shopping, I mean, if if Amazon Prime wasn't enough that we would get it in two days, now there's like same day and soon to be coming to, uh, to a village near you, drones, just bringing you your junk right away. Just like they don't want you to even think about whether or not it's a good purchase. If you feel like you want it right now, just click. We had to turn one-click shopping off on Amazon. Like, whoo, we got into that, and that was just way too convenient. In this given moment, I just I feel like I need this, and I hit the button, and what happens? I get an email with my receipt, and it's on the way. Your Amazon Prime package is on its way. Now you can get your food, DoorDash, Grubhub, Favor. Now you can tell Alexa to tell Favor to bring you Taco Bell. Did you know that? Now you can tell Alexa that you need a Lyft ride or an Uber ride. You don't have to get off your couch until the car pulls up and texts you to let you know it's there. We are a culture of convenience and comfort. 
Now you don't, when your friend owes you money, you don't have to have those uncomfortable conversations anymore. You know the friend that never brings their wallet? It's okay. Yeah, I'll buy your dinner. Just Venmo me the money. It's a new version of PayPal. You can just send that money right from your bank account to my account. Nope, you forgot. No problem. I'll pick up your tab. Just Venmo me $22.13, and we're good to go. Convenience, comfort. Now, these aren't all bad things, right? But when these things become ultimate things to us, our happiness and our satisfaction hinge off of these things, these good things become idols to us. And this idea of comfort in the American dream gets infused into our Christianity. And then we begin to buy into this false theology that God's greatest desire is for me to be comfortable. And it's obvious in the way we pray, in, in, in the slightest moment of discomfort. I just wonder how many of us are driven into our prayer time with the Lord out of discomfort alone. God, things are getting uncomfortable in here. Make me comfortable and then we've developed this goofy idea of the comfort zone, right? It's this idea that once in a while, when I'm like super in tune with the Holy Spirit, like he's going to call me out of my comfort zone to do something risky and like, like tell somebody about Jesus or pray for somebody. But as soon as it's done, where do I retreat to? Right back to my comfort zone. Whew. Oh, that was close. My heart's beating. Oh, I was so uncomfortable. God, let's don't do that again for a while. I mean... Thank you for my comfort zone. It's this ideology that somehow God has created your life to be purely comfortable as you see it. Well, Paul's going to bring up some tough conversations this morning. To begin with, he started mixing in the idea of affliction with God's comfort in my life. And, and in my American mindset, those two, that's like oil and water. How do those two things go together? Affliction and comfort. Paul, what are you talking about here? Affliction and comfort. Now, the goals of, of, of what I see in our lives when it comes to comfort are, are these. Physical ease and relaxation, freedom from stress, pleasure, enjoyment. These are the ways we typically define comfort, right? By the things that make us uncomfortable. Stress, physical exertion, I'm not able to relax right now, the weight of responsibility, I'm not happy, right? Aren't these the opposite of being comfortable? Now, I want to introduce you to a person's story. I read several stories of, of, of different missionaries um, this past week, and one caught my attention, um, David Shestikov uh, from Uzbekistan. Uh, he shared his testimony um, with, a, uh, with a Christian magazine about how God worked in his life. He actually um, grew up in Uzbekistan, um, was not a believer, and um, he was a very successful water polo player. I guess that's what you do in Uzbekistan, you play water polo. Well, his career came to an end somewhere around college, and uh, he had wrapped up his identity in that. And so he just began to kind of tailspin into some desperate things, looking for ways to kind of self-medicate and to comfort himself. He got into drug addiction, and that led to gangs, and that led to violence. And his mother had become a Christian and began to pray for David. And she invited him to come to church, and the whole church had been praying for David. And, and he came to church with his, his wife, and, um, and this was like his first time into church. He hears the gospel that God loves him, has a plan and purpose for his life, and that he has sent his son to die for him, and David gives his life to the Lord first time in church. Boom, gets saved. 
And he's so radically transformed and so excited about the grace of God in his life that immediately he determines, God's calling me to be a preacher. And he and his wife went back to his native town in Uzbekistan, which was primarily Muslim, um, over 90% Muslim population. And uh, to preach the gospel was illegal. And so he and his wife and their three small children start this church. And after several warnings, um, the, uh, the government there arrested him and put him in jail for preaching the gospel, gave him a four-year sentence. And uh, while he was in, ch- in, uh, in prison, he was obviously not allowed to have a copy of the scriptures. That was illegal. And so what his wife and his three little girls would do um, is at home, they would memorize the Psalms. And then when they would make the 600-mile journey to go visit David in prison, they would recite the scripture to him through the bars of the jail cell. And it was his only access to scripture, other than what he had memorized, was his wife and his daughters just bringing him the scripture verbally. And after about three and a half years into his sentence, the prison caught on to what was going on. And so they, they, they determined he had not learned his lesson. So they put him in solitary confinement for the last few months of his imprisonment. Now, understand this was uh, this is a, a place geographically where it was cold. It was a time of year where it was very frigid outside. And so here's what would happen at nighttime. There was no heat in his uh, solitary confinement cell. No lights, no windows, no heat. And it would be so cold, he says, that I would shiver so violently hard I couldn't sleep. Then in the day, um, the, the, the guards would come by and make sure he stayed awake. They wouldn't let him sleep during the day. When the sun would come out and kind of warm the place, they wouldn't let him go to sleep. And this went on for a period of time and a lot of desperate crying out to the Lord during this period of time. Here's a quote um, from David, what he says, how he describes that time in his life. He says, in misery, expecting du- death to come knocking, I was saying my goodbyes to my family in my mind. I recall using all my energy to repeat the Lord's Prayer. Now, what's so significant about that? In the midst of severe affliction, suffering, and turmoil, in prison, simply for the fact that he was preaching the gospel, what is David's prayer? God, change my circumstances, make this easy, make me comfortable? No. What's he praying? God, My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth in this prison cell as it is in heaven. Give me my daily bread. That's all I'm asking for. And forgive me of my trespasses as I do what? Forgive those who are continually trespassing against me. And that was his prayer in those dark moments of affliction and suffering. Well, after four years, he was released from prison. He, he was able to reunite with his wife and his three girls. They moved to the Ukraine and were there waiting for an opportunity to come to the U.S. Um, as refugees. And while there, they started another church in Ukraine and preached the gospel. People got saved. The church began to grow. And here's David's quote as he looked back on that time of suffering. He said, today, the churches in Uzbekistan and in Ukraine are growing led by pastors who preach the gospel. God taught me lasting lessons during my persecution, not the least of which is this. He is always good. Now, aren't we kind of feeling the same tension we felt with Paul a minute ago? Comfort in the midst of affliction 
And, and David's sharing his story of suffering for Jesus. And, and, and God allows him to be thrown in prison and to stay there for four months. And just when he thought it was bad, it got worse. And suffering turned into more suffering. And his prayer was what? God, your will be done in this prison cell as it is in heaven. And just give me what I need. I trust you. And, and he looked back on that period of time, not with resentment and bitterness towards God, who would not comfort him in his flesh. But he looked back on that time. He said, God is good. So Paul... And David must have a different idea of comfort in mind than I typically have when I wake up in the morning. When I wake up in the morning, I I think about how tired am I. I think about the temperature in the room. I think about what I'm going to wear for the day. I think about all the responsibilities and hoops I have to jump through so I can get back to this place I call my bed and put my head back on the pillow and go to sleep. Comfort for me is about how I feel in any given moment. It's about my flesh being comfortable. But as was mentioned earlier, even in the live welcome, Mike talked about how God works in the midst of discomfort and tension in our lives. Christ's followers, this is how God has designed the universe to work. It's God's design for your life. It's God's design for grass. You ever walk down a sidewalk or across an asphalt street and just see this little tender grass just bursting forth against resistance, pushing back against the the idea of discomfort. You ever seen a tree growing out of a boulder? Romans 5 and James chapter 1 make that same declaration about your life, that our affliction and suffering actually lead to our good. Resistance and affliction lead to growth and real life. So Paul And David the missionary, and ultimately God, must have something different in mind when when they talk about God being a God of comfort then. We continue reading in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 5. For as we share in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our what? Comfort. Can I tell you the difference? between God's view on comfort and the world's view on comfort? It's not that God doesn't desire for you to have comfort in your life. The world's view of comfort is that your flesh would be comfortable. God's desire of comfort for you is that your soul would be comfortable. The world's view of comfort is that you would rest well at the end of the day on your sleep number bed and in your nice cozy home. And God's desire for you is that you would have rest for your soul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, again, same letter, a few chapters later, Paul talks about this. Listen to these words. It's actually one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Starting in verse 7, Paul writes to the church, those who are in Christ, he says, We, we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about your life, Christian, that like your body 
okay? Your flesh, that's just like a jar of clay. The real treasure is on the inside. It's not what you look like on the outside or how together you have it on the outside. The real treasure of your life is on the inside. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. You feel the tension between what Paul's talking about here? Right? We've been, what? We've been afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Carrying around in our bodies the sufferings of Jesus, but on the inside, something else is happening. You feel the tension here? What Paul's doing is he's contrasting our discomfort in this world with the inner peace that comes from knowing Christ. He'll go on in verse 16. Look at what he says. Church, do not lose heart. He's speaking to Christians who are facing affliction and suffering, who are uncomfortable in their circumstances. And he's saying, Christian, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. This light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparisons. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They go away fast. But the things that are unseen are eternal. How could Paul reconcile in his mind that God is a God of comfort in the midst of affliction? How does David, this missionary servant for Jesus, get arrested and mistreated and tortured in prison for the sake of the gospel, still say, God is good? Because Paul and David were not looking for their comfort in the things that are seen. They were not looking in comfort in God changing their momentary light afflictions. They were finding their comfort in the eternal glory of knowing Jesus. This is true in the New Testament and the book of Acts when you see the church facing persecution after persecution. The church gathers around to pray what? God, change our circumstances and make it more comfortable like it was before you resurrected and left. No, God, give us comfort in the midst of our circumstances and our afflictions so that why? So we can be more bold with the gospel. Give us that inner peace that we know that we're yours and it doesn't matter what you do to my body. This body may be facing death all day long but the inner self is what? It's alive, it's growing, it's flourishing against this persecution, this affliction, this suffering, this resistance. Like a little blade of grass bursting forth from a concrete sidewalk. This discomfort we feel in this life is preparing us for an eternal comfort that is beyond comparison. We work hard today, we we strive in discomfort today, knowing what we're sowing eternal seeds in our life. Listen, this principle is true in all realms of your life. Let's just talk about our physical body for just a minute. I just wonder for a moment, how many of you would just be honest and say, I physically, um, I wish I was more fit or I could eat healthier or get more exercise. 
Any honest people in the room? Okay, I'm not counting hands, but if you're listening online, almost everybody in the room raised their hand. I wish I was eating healthier. I wish I was a little bit thinner. I wish I was a little bit stronger, a little bit more fit, right? We, but, so when you sit down with somebody, you say, okay, well then what's keeping you from your goals? Guess what you're going to get? A list of excuses. I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. I got all this responsibility. I can't get these things done. And you know what ultimately what, what the, the primary reason is? We don't like being uncomfortable. We don't like setting the alarm clock a little bit earlier or being intentional with our lunchtime or making room to get our priorities done. Right? And if you do make your way to the gym, it hurts. If you do say, you know what, I'm going to do the whole 30 diet, it hurts, doesn't it? It's uncomfortable. And the only way to succeed in it is to be willing to be uncomfortable. Now, that's just your physical body. Let's do the same thing. How many of you, honest show of hands, how many of you would like to spend more time with the Lord in Bible study and prayer each week? Okay. Almost everybody in the room, raise your hands, okay? Again, What's keeping you from that? Well, I'm just too busy. I got little kids. I got responsibilities. This isn't it. I mean, the ultimate answer is what? I don't want to be uncomfortable. I'm not willing to get up 30 minutes earlier. I'm not willing to be more intentional with my life. Discomfort keeps me, right, from spending more time with the Lord. And here's the thing. For a lot of us today, we're just realizing, oh, my gosh, this is infused in my ideologies as an American kid, right? We're, we're known as the, the hovering parent generation. We don't like for our kiddos to be uncomfortable, right? Because when they're uncomfortable, they cry, they scream, they whine, they argue, they act up, and now I'm uncomfortable. And so I'm going to pacify their need for comfort so that I can be what? Comfortable. Hey, your kids will be okay, parents. They will eventually quit crying, but everybody in the grocery store is looking at me. I'm so uncomfortable. Hey. But we're, we're, a, we're a generation that likes to pacify our kids. What are we teaching our kids? You deserve to be comfortable. And if you're not comfortable, you need, to, you need to cry out and you need to plead your case and you need to start a movement. And everybody needs to be about your comfort. Little Johnny, you deserve to be comfortable. But then we grow up to be adults like that, don't we? Let me just share with you some ways that that I see this manifest in our lives today, even within the church, I would say the first one um, is fear of responsibility slash commitment. Those two things go hand in hand. I make a commitment, now I'm responsible to keep that commitment. Um, that's, a, that's a big uh, indicative of uh, the current generation. Okay, I don't think it started with the millennials either. I think it started well before the millennials. Right, so now we're at a place now where nobody wants to get married, nobody wants to make the long-term commitments, everything needs to be temporary in case I get, what, uncomfortable. So this is something about our generation. So there's this idea that I don't want to be responsible. That might mean I might have to show up when I don't want to show up. I just want to show up to work when I feel like I want to show up, right? That's not what responsibility is. Responsibility is showing up even when it doesn't feel like you should show up, right? You're not allowing just the slightest little excuse to keep you from Going to work and you call in and, oh, I got allergies. The wind was blowing this weekend. And I just. Sometimes you call to work when you don't feel well, right? You see how easy our discomfort becomes a God to us, and, and that's more important to us than being responsible. And we've caught on to that, so we shirk responsibility. We shirk commitment. Um, another one, and this one's uh, probably more obvious, is the dependence on consumption. Okay, and this shows up in some really obvious ways, like 
um, like gravitating towards like alcohol or drugs, um, some type of a quick fix that becomes an addiction in our lives, and we gravitate towards that consumption because early on it helps me feel what? Comfortable in this moment of discomfort. And so anytime the stress level begins to go up, discomfort begins to go up, maybe you're when you get in a crowd of people, you start to get uncomfortable, so you gravitate towards one of these things, maybe it's alcohol or, or something to make you feel more comfortable. And then it ends up in this vicious cycle of deep, dark addiction, and you don't know how to get out of it. But it shows up in some subtle ways, too. It can show up in your interact- interaction with social media. Um, I, two weeks ago, I put an app on my phone to measure my screen use. Um, the amount of time that I spend on my screen, anytime my screen is lit up, it's measuring time. It's dividing it up into the different apps, and it counts how many times you awaken your screen. First day I had it on my phone, 96 times I turned my screen on to look. So now I begin to think, why do I turn my screen on that often? And I realize how quickly, like during my day, things get stressful, and I just need to, I just need to unplug or escape for a minute. What I'll do, I'll turn it on and try to go somewhere else, which leads to the third manifestation a tendency towards escapes, okay? And again, this can play out in like pornography. It can play out in role-playing on websites, but it can also simply just mean I'm just gonna go to Facebook for a minute to escape the stress of my moment, my job, whatever's going on. I mean, I wonder how many of you spend your break time going through social media instead of like pressing in, unplugging, or spending time with the Lord, and you press to that escape because momentarily it kind of, it frees you from that feeling You see how easy we gravitate in toward these idols of comfort? Idol of comfort impacts your spiritual journey. I'm going to give you um, three ways that I see this play out. Um, First of all, I think uh, in our worship, our corporate gatherings. um, Let me just give you some examples. Um, So some of you may be here today against um, your idea of comfort. You're uncomfortable being here because it's a large group of people. Not going to ask for a show of hands because that would really make you uncomfortable. But I know you, and you share that with me. I know that some people who come to church are like pastor, like it's crowds freak me out. Okay, um, can I t- can I just be honest with you? Um, it freaks me out to be up here. One one of my if those who know me well know this. One of my phobias in life is public speaking, and so just to follow God's calling in my life, I have to willingly say I'll be uncomfortable. Okay, and so. Oftentimes, that desire to be comfortable can, can even keep somebody from being a part of this. The crowds freak me out. I just too many people around. Potentially could cause you to be, you know, maybe too shy or embarrassed. Maybe the Lord prompts you to, to stand and sing. and You want to, but you just can't make your lips. It happens. Um, people will ask me at times um, about our church, and uh, I love it when they ask me if we have a choir. And, um, and I always say, we do have a choir. And like, really, when does your choir meet? And I come be a part of your choir. I'm like, well, we meet on, we meet on Sundays. Rehearsal time is 8.15, 10 o'clock, and 11.45. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. During church, I'm like, yeah, that's what we do. And we've got all these seats in these nice, neat rows, and you get to come sit in them and just be part of the choir. See, the idea of a choir is actually a biblical concept. It's what we do in eternity. The saints come together and lift one voice, and it's a biblical command to sing. Some of us are are worse at it than others. (laughs) I already heard you singing. Cats out of the bag. But but here's the thing. Like, we're called to lift, take what we believe and we hold so dear and to lift that up with one voice unto the Lord. That's a biblical thing. And 
right? And if, if you're not careful, you can allow your discomfort with that sort of thing keep you from that, from engaging in that. How about the chair you sit in? Now, not so much the 10 o'clock service, but in, maybe in our other services. People show up early to get their seat. Last week, um, I wasn't preaching, so Hallie and I came into this service, and we sat in the middle on this side. And y'all, people were staring at us. We were getting text messages. What are you doing over there? And we were like, we're just members of this church. Why is it freaking everybody out that we're just sitting out there? And, and then we realized we had somebody seat. No, I'm just kidding. But I just wonder how many of you, like, you, have, you gravitate towards your seat or your side of the room, and it's this, I'm comfortable here. It's my comfort zone to be here, and God forbid I should show up and the seats are taken, I have to sit on the other side of the room. You see how easy that idol of comfort can distract you from the good things in your life or divert your attention even from worship? How about this, and I think probably this is even going to be more significant, is engaging fully in biblical community. We talked about it earlier. It's never going to be comfortable to be in biblical community. Biblical community is pressing into relationships with other Christians, and you don't always get to pick who they are. Being in biblical community, if we're going to obey the scripture, means what? I'm going to walk in transparency. I'm going to let you in on my life. I'm going to confess sin to you. I'm going to listen to you confess sin to me. I'm going to pray for you. When we get into maybe like a, a disagreement or a misunderstanding rather than running from you, I'm going to press in. We're going to go have lunch together. We're going to figure this out together. Those, none of that's comfortable, right? But all of that is commanded in the New Testament. And if, and if we're not careful, that idol of, of comfort can, can keep us from obeying the scriptures in very practical ways with one another. Or maybe for you, it's bearing one another's burdens. Maybe you just, the idea of responsibility just freaks you out, and the idea of somebody else sharing their burden with you just doubly freaks you out. And so you don't want to be engaged in community groups or small group discussions because oh, I just don't want to hear everybody else's mess. I have a hard time doing my own mess. It's messy in biblical community because I'm there. It's messy. And you're there. It's messy. But, but we're commanded in Christ to bear one another's burdens, and there's nothing comfortable about that, is it? Nothing at all comfortable about that. Fear of exposure, fear of being asked to open up. Our idol from discomfort can keep us even from living the mission. Right? I'm uncomfortable if people reject me. I'm uncomfortable. They might ask me questions if I start talking about Jesus and I may not know the answers. Right? I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to say. Or how about this one? Um, I was going to go on the Philippines mission trip, but then I talked to Brian Lamb. Did you know that he makes them sleep on the floor? I mean, I've got a sleep comfort bed at home. The floor, right? Did you know that you're going to have to take cold showers for like five days in a row? Right? Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to go to the Philippines, but I'm saying if we're not careful, we allow that idol of comfort, this false idea of the comfort zone, to inhibit us and keep us from what? Engaging fully in the life that God has for you. It'll impact your worship. It'll impact your relationships and biblical community. It'll impact your desire to live out the mission. I want to share the gospel with this person, but I'm, it's, it's outside of my comfort zone. Whew, deep breath. Okay, here I go. Ooh, not, not today. We'll do it tomorrow, right? All right. So we end our, our, we've been ending our sermons with um, a list of questions um, that allow us to begin thinking about 
whether or not we personally might be struggling with these idols, because we all know people who struggle with these idols, right? Okay, so you already thought about those people. Now get that off your mind. I just want you to think about you for a minute, okay? So these are some questions that we, we ask. Now, this is not a perfect diagnostic science, okay? It's just designed to help you start thinking. Um, and, and, and at the risk of sounding like Jeff Foxworthy, it's been brought to my attention. You might be a redneck if. So you might struggle with the idol of comfort if you get upset when Wi-Fi isn't available or working in a public place. This is 2017, y'all, right? Do y'all not have internet off in here? Why do we not have a Wi-Fi signal? If you get frustrated or feel defeated when your smartphone begins to get low on battery, you ever begin to panic when you get down to like, you've already got to the 10% warning, so you've switched it to battery usage mode where it's like conserving energy and now you're down to 3% and then you have to send out all those emergency texts to all your friends, all your peeps so they know that you didn't die if you don't respond like, oh my God, my battery's about to die. I just want to send this to you know that I'm at Costco and everything's okay. Send it out. Whew, feel better about things. I mean, God forbid, if this phone goes down, the whole world's going down. You ever panic when that happens? I don't either. Um, so, if you ever get mad at your digital device, and here's how you know you start talking to it, when the blue dot doesn't keep up with you, when you're driving, you're trying to find out where you're going, your navigational dot, and you're like, I'm not in the middle of a lake, I'm over here on this street, and you're looking at your, you ever like get frustrated with your GPS device, and might be an idol of comfort if you get mad because the blue dot isn't keeping up with you. Um, how about this one? If you ever find yourself saying, parentheses, or thinking, when you get back from a vacation, man, I really need a vacation from this vacation. What? It was just stressful. I had to take the kids this time. What was so stressful about it? They wouldn't sleep in past 9 o'clock. They were so excited to go get on the water slide. Right? And we had to, we had to make time to go by the breakfast buffet because it's only open from like 6 a.m. to like 11. And like, uh, so stressful. I need a vacation from this vacation. Might be an idol of comfort there. Just throwing it out there. If your AC or hot water heater in your home goes out and your first response is, we're going to have to stay in a hotel tonight. <laughs> Did your roof break too in your sleep number bed? What are you talking about? <clears throat> Got to stay in a hotel. We don't have hot water. AC's not working. Hey, you're going you're gonna to be okay. You're going to make it. If you get upset when your waiter or waitress is taking too long to check on other customers, you start rattling your glass, you slide it closer to the edge, closer to the edge, like it's about to fall off the edge, and you're just like glaring down your waitress, right? Y'all are just making small talk over here, and my glass is out of water. I'm thirsty. You ever get angry in those moments, feeling like you're being left out, mistreated? Um, all right, let's, let's make it a little bit more serious. Um, we mentioned earlier, you feel prompted to engage in worship by singing or maybe going to a prayer partner, like God puts it on your heart, but you hesitate, and that idol of comfort keeps you from engaging in that. There might be an idol of comfort. Uh, how about this one? If you see people who are new to the church and you don't go over and say hi because you're embarrassed or shy. Yeah. Did you know we were called to greet one another or commanded to do that in love? 
If you get to church early because you can't stand sitting somewhere that you don't normally sit, we talked about that one. If you really want to get connected at church or you really want to feel connected at church, but you refuse to visit a community group because you're afraid that you'll be uncomfortable. If God prompts you to share the gospel with someone, but you don't because you're afraid that you won't know what to say or that they'll ask you a question, and essentially what you're saying is, I just don't want to be out, exposed out of my comfort zone. Okay, now these are just questions meant to kind of stir some thought this morning. So I want to end with two things today. First of all, um, we mentioned this at the front of the sermon series back in September, that we wanted to get to a place at the end of the sermon series where we could hear back from you guys. We started doing this. We did it in August at the end of the book of Acts, and we, we, we got you guys to share some testimonies about how God had worked in your life and taught you and spoken to you. We want to do that again, and, and here's what we do. We want to set aside a whole Sunday um, later on in November where you get the opportunity to share how God has worked in your life, okay? And so if, if that's something that you're interested in, and want to be a part of or involved with, you feel like God's spoken to you in some way or changed your life through this sermon series, and you want to give that feedback, um, you can let me know by simply just sending an email. I'll make it super simple. If you'll just email info at srchurch.tv, okay? That email will get routed to me. You don't have to share your story. You just say, hey, I'm, I'm interested in maybe getting involved and sharing my testimony in November, and I'll get back in touch with you, okay? Now, if you're in the room right now and the idea that makes you uncomfortable that's who I want to email me, okay? All you who are like super attention driven and that idea excites you and hey, I may need to call on you if I don't get enough of the others, but I really want those of you who are struggling with the idol of comfort to say, you know what, here we go. No more comfort zone, done with it. I'm gonna start walking in faith. And if God is putting it on your heart, okay, not me, but if God is, just let me know. Send me an email, info at srchurch.tv. Um, I'll get back with you. I'll make it super easy. I'm going to have interview questions. We're going to do it live from the stage. Ooh, I just freaked you out, didn't I? <sighs> just, just scratch that part of it. I'll make it super user-friendly. Just email me. We'll go from there, okay, one step at a time. Um, but, but second of all, I want to end here today because I don't want to overlook what God may be speaking to you today, okay? Um, and, and there's a good chance several of us this morning um, we've come to realize that that idea of comfort has, has begun to creep into our spiritual life and potentially even become an idol such that it's beginning to control us or impact our journey, our worship, our biblical community, our, our, our interaction with, with our other brothers and sisters in Christ on some level. And so I want to give you a chance to respond to that. And I'm going to invite our worship team uh, to come back up. Uh, if you don't mind, you guys can go ahead and, and head this way. Um, I'm going to ask our prayer partners to be available in the room at the front and the back. They'd be more than honored just to pray with you and talk with you about anything that, that's going on in your life. Um, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, our greatest hope for you is that you would come to that place in your journey where you trust in Jesus and him alone. And so if that's you today and you want to find out more information about becoming a Christian, I'm going to ask you to do something completely uncomfortable and courageous. Slip out of your seat in a minute while we're, while we're singing and grab one of our prayer partners and just say, hey, I want to know how to become a Christian. Okay? They'll take it from there. All right, they'll take it from there. They'll be honored to talk with you about that. Um, let's pray together and we'll prepare to respond. Um, Father, thank you this morning just for the beautiful reminder that you are our one true source of comfort. God, it's not just what you do, it's who you are. God, your presence in our life brings this inner peace, this inner contentment, this inner comfort that can't be tampered with by the world around us whether it's David in an Uzbekistan prison cell, where it's 
Paul in prison in Rome, or it's this week you call one of us to, to cross the room and share the gospel with somebody we work with, or to pray for somebody. God, you're, you're not calling us to a life that feels comfortable on the outside. God, thank you for those reminders this morning. Father, I pray for all of us today through a time of honest evaluation and soul searching that God you would lead us to a place where we would begin to let go of finding our joy and satisfaction and being comfortable but there would be this eagerness this willingness to not just step outside the comfort zone God but to live outside the comfort zone God to heed your invitation to take up our cross deny ourselves to count the cost and to follow you Thank you, God, that even in circumstances where the outer body is wasting away, we can grow and be alive on the inside. Even in the midst of affliction and pain, we can have comfort because, God, we know you. So, Father, this morning, would you lead us into a time of response now? We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus.